This evening's reading is from Acts 13, page 1107. In Pisidian Antioch, from Paphos, Paulus and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness. And he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Saviour Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you are looking for. But there is one coming after me, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Fellow children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognise Jesus, Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead And for many days he was seen by those who had travelled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news, what God promised our ancestors. He has fulfilled for us their children by raising up Jesus, as it is written in the second psalm. You are my son, Today I have become your father. 
God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay, as God has said. I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wander and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honoured the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, uh, Sally Ann. Let's just move this over here. Shall we just take a moment to pray, shall we? Our God, our Father, we thank you so much for this, this day. Thank you for the celebration. We rejoice in Ross being baptised. We we long for, for more people to come to faith and to be baptized here, Father. We pray that through this passage you will inspire us and equip us for that task. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Um, Acts um, of the Apostles is all about um, growing in outreach, and growing out outreach is one of the things at uh, St. John's that we are focusing on in our, our vision, and our 2022 vision, to grow in outreach. In Acts um, chapter 5, um, after this is going back a few chapters from what was read, read, written, um, read to us, the apostles had been um, thrown in jail in Acts 5 uh, for proclaiming the good news. And then they were miraculously um, set free and released in the night. And they were commanded by an angel um, in verse 21. And in, in verse 21, it says this. It says, Go, stand in the temple courts, and tell the people the full message of new life. And I want you to notice there that the three verbs that um, are mentioned, go, stand, and tell. Go, stand, and tell the message of new life. That was the task for the apostles um, then, and it's actually the same task for every Christian today, to go, stand, and tell. But how are we going to do that? I mean, how are we going to tell? Uh, uh, Where are we going to go? Um, We need to answer these questions. And to whom are we to go? And when should we go? What's the plan? And so as we turn to Acts 13, if you do have it it open in front of you, that may be useful as we go through. Um, Luke, the writer of Acts gives us some principles to help us um, as we think about going, as we think about standing, and and as we think about telling, sharing our faith. The first is that there is a gospel plan. There's a gospel plan. We're looking at Paul's first missionary journey. We're picking up the story after Paul and Barnabas have visited the island of Cyprus. Um, it's worth just pausing for a moment, going back to think about that. Why did they go to Cyprus? I don't know whether we mentioned this. Richard mentioned this last week. Why? Well, it was because it was actually Barnabas's home. He starts, you see, with the people he knows and the place he knows. He goes to his community. Um, and, and so that's the same is true for us. We start at base one. The people we know around us, our family, our friends, our colleagues, our community. We could go to Yorkshire. We could go to Tajikistan. uh, We could go to Africa, wherever it might be. But we always need to start with the people we know around us, the people we meet from day to day. Now, some of us are sent to go overseas for mission work. But whether we are or or not. We all have actually a global um, responsibility. We are called to think globally, to think about supporting mission beyond our own community. And so it's right to ask ourselves, how are we doing that as individuals, but also how are we doing that as a task? I mean, do you know our mission partners, for example? Do you know how much we give um, as a church to this kind of mission outreach. Does anybody know what it is as a percentage of the total income of St. John's? It's 11%. Thank you, Nigel. It's 11% of our total income. Um, So we have this responsibility because we're actually seeking to fulfill that 
great commission in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them um, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Paul and Barnabas had a plan. It wasn't just something they cooked up and just spontaneously went here and there. They had a plan. And they were on a missionary journey. And we're also on a missionary journey. Is your life an expression of that missionary journey, of that commission? Does our time give evidence to that? Does our bank account give evidence to that? Does our conversations give evidence to that? It's quite a challenge, isn't it? So they've been to Cyprus. Where do they go next? Well, they go north. You've got the map. This is the first missionary journey. They, go, they head north, verse 13. That's where we picked up the reading that Sally and read. It says, From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Poseidon, Antioch. Now, that's a different Antioch to the one that's in Syria that we saw earlier back in chapter 11. But why did they go to this Antioch? It's worth just pausing. I think it may well have been, like Barnabas went to his home, Cyprus, the people he knew, we now go north, which is more Paul's territory. Remember, Paul is um, from Tarsus, uh, which is part of Sicilia region, a little bit to the, to the east of Antioch. So we go to Paul's territory. He has a plan. And what's key to his plan? Well, his, plan, his key to it is reaching unreached people with the good news. To fulfill Acts 1.8, at the beginning of Acts, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, Pentecost, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. How many people live in the world? It's about 7 billion, I think. It may be slightly more, depends nobody actually knows. About 7 billion people in the world. There's about, depending on who you talk to, there's about 17,000 people groups. 17,000 people groups of which about 5,000 are still totally unreached. You might find that quite surprising. 5,000 unreached. And that equates to about 1.5 billion people. So, you know, the the task is huge before us. Lots of work to be done. There's also about 7,000 languages in the world. And around about 500 of those languages are in, we have a full Bible for. Um, About 2,000, just over 2,000 of those languages have some part um, of the Bible translated. We've got a long way to go, despite our modern technology. And Paul and Barnabas go. They're really urgent. They sense the need. They have a plan, a gospel plan. And notice in verse 13 that you go with or without your companions or your friends. You see, John turns back to Jerusalem. It's worth us just pausing. We will get to that in Acts 15 later. There was a sharp disagreement. Exactly what went on in the disagreement isn't exactly sure, but we will get to that later. We don't have all the details. Maybe John had a different plan. Maybe John had a different plan. Now, both could be good plans, couldn't they? Paul carries on and goes 
And he doesn't quit his plan or complain at, at this point about what has happened. And it struck me that, you know, in church, we can have different plans, you know, and we can struggle sometimes to understand each other's plan and where God is, is calling us. We sometimes don't have the same plan. We can have even sharp disagreements about the plan. doesn't necessarily mean that they're all wrong or one's wrong and one's right. But what should unite all those plans is, of course, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So go stand, tell. Go stand, tell. What's the next bit of the plan? Well, verse 14. On the Sabbath day, they entered the synagogue and they sat down. Notice they started with the people of God. It's the same for us again. Think about it for ourselves. It's the church. We have people coming in contact with St. John's um, week in, week out, who have not um, committed their life to Jesus Christ. Um, We have people sitting in pews each Sunday who don't know Jesus. So evangelism must start inside the church, the visible church, uh, to those who have the scriptures, who know the promises of God, just as the Jewish people knew the promises They go, they go straight to the people of God, and from there they go to the nations. That was always Paul's plan, that was always the way that Paul um, went about. He went to the lost sheep of Israel. As Jesus um, said to his disciples in Matthew 10, he told the disciples to first go to the lost sheep of Israel. Wherever there was a synagogue, there he would be found. But his, his heart for an urgency for the lost spread from there to the Gentiles, those who weren't um, Jews, and a great sense of urgency. And I wonder whether we, and I say this to myself, do we get that sense of urgency? Hannah and I um, had an evening in last night, which was great, and we watched a movie. I don't think we'd watched a movie for a while. Um, we watched Sully. Has anyone seen Sully? It's a great movie. Um, it's all about the pilot who landed the plane in the Hudson River when both engines were struck by, by um, birds. When Sully um, came on the intercom to the cabin, it just said, Brace for, land. Brace for, land. for impact. Brace for impact. And that's what the, the people, the stewards also just kept shouting. Brace for impact. And of course you could see the people crying, you could see people panicking, um, screaming. They thought they were about to die. I mean, can you imagine what that must have been like? I can't imagine what it had been like. It was, um, it's only two minutes it was, roughly. Um, two minutes. Must have been the longest two minutes before the plane was, land, uh, was landed safely. But it is worth asking ourselves, brace for impact. Do people brace? Are you bracing for impact? If we were going down, would we be ready to meet the God of heaven? Because ultimate judgment is coming, and I don't say that lightly. I say that with a genuine heart. We all are a moment away from that impact. Brace for impact. Paul never let that thought out of his thinking. He goes. 
He wants to stand, he wants to tell. So that's the plan of the gospel. But once we've gone, what do we do next? Uh, We proclaim the gospel. Verse 16. You notice we're going really slowly here. And how many verses have we got? 51. Uh, Don't do any math. Don't worry. It's going to speed up. (laughs) You hope. (laughs) This might be the longest night of your life. Verse 16. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. Standing up. Go, stand, tell. Standing up. This is the first summary we have of a sermon by Paul. This is the first one we have. It's not everything he would have said, but it is a summary of what he said. And there's some elements here that can really help us as we think about what we say. Because we're not Paul, but we can say and we can learn from this. First of all, use of scripture. Paul shows how Jesus is not an afterthought, Um, Jesus is not a second attempt at saving the world. Um, And he shows that through the scriptures. In fact, Jesus is the fulfillment of the scriptures. He takes time, doesn't he? He takes quite a lot of time here to show and explain God's solution for people turning away from him in the Garden of Eden. His promise of forgiveness to sinners is Jesus Christ. So this isn't just for for, for non-Jews. This is for the fulfillment of the promise made to Israel. Paul's saying to them, this is your faith. Jesus is the Messiah, the one you have been waiting for, the one that foreshadowed by Moses, the one that the judges point to, the one that David, King David, and then finally John the Baptist points. This is the fulfillment of everything we have been waiting for here today. And he tells that in quite detail Uh, And in verse 32, he says, we tell you the good news. We tell you the good news. What God has promised our ancestors. There is one program, one promise from the beginning of time. And it's fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Of course, we have here mainly Jewish audience that he's talking to. If you go to Acts 17, he's talking to mainly Gentiles, to non-Jews, and he uses a very slightly different approach. The presentation is different. But Paul uses scripture. It's really important that we stand, when we stand, we stand on the scriptures, because that's the way we will make Christ known. And notice how it's always God's initiative here. Have you noticed that as you heard it read? It's all about God. Verse 17, God chose our ancestors. Verse 20, God gave them judges. Verse 22, God testifies concerning him. Verse 22, God has brought to Israel a savior. It's all about what God has done. God taking the initiative. Why? Because he loves us. And he wants us to know him. He wants us to be rescued. He goes in the person of Jesus Christ. He comes to rescue his people just because he loves us. He loves you. And he sent his son to die for you. So first, let's use the scriptures. Let's use the Bible. But secondly, let's focus on the cross and the resurrection. The cross and the resurrection, the message is all about Jesus Christ and him alone. It's not about us. It's not about what we're doing or what we're becoming or going to do, but it's all about Jesus. And notice just again how of all the things that Paul could have spoken about 
of Jesus' life, he doesn't talk about his miracles. He doesn't really talk about Jesus' teaching. He doesn't talk about his healings. What does he talk about? Talks about the death and resurrection. So I encourage you, when we're in those conversations, talk about the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. You see it there. Um, The death, verse 27. The people did not recognize Jesus, yet condemned him. Verse 28. Though they found no proper grounds for death sentence, they asked Pilate to execute him. Verse 29. They took him down from the cross. And notice the word cross there is the word actually tree. They took him down from the tree. I highlight that to you because that's, Paul is deliberately using the word tree, taken down from the tree, it, which reminds us that Jesus was fulfilling a scripture in, the, in Deuteronomy, in the Old Testament. Anyone who hung on a tree is cursed by God, it says. Why is Jesus the Son of God being cursed? Because he was dying in our place. He was taking upon himself the curse that should have been mine and yours. He was dying in our place. He was paying for our sins. So you don't have to pay. Jesus removes the curse by becoming the curse. So the cross of Jesus becomes, for us, good news. That's what, why it's Good Friday. It's because it's good news. We're no longer under God's curse when we trust in Jesus. But that's not all. The resurrection, verse 30, is all in there. But God raised him from the dead, verse 33, by raising Jesus. And then again in verse 34 and 37. And see how he just repeats the death and resurrection. He's repeating himself like all good uh, preachers. (laughs) You might not say that. (laughs) Eddie, get on with it. But he's wanting us to know the resurrection. He wants us to know the resurrection is a fact. Paul is a witness, not to something theoretical, not to something sort of um, spiritual in a kind of vague sense, like winter turns into spring and, you know, um, new life in that sort of vague sense. No, he's saying this is a hard fact. The resurrection happened. We have seen it. We saw him. We embraced him. We touched him. We ate with him. We heard from him. Verse 31 gives that summary. For many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. This is the apostolic witness. This is our witness. We speak of those who first heard, who first saw, who first embraced, who first touched And what took 12 men? What took those men at the beginning? 12 men who, after Jesus' death, were hiding, were frightened, who were going away from Jerusalem, despondent, running fearful for their lives, maybe thinking they're going to be next. What turned them around? What made them go and stand and tell? What made them, of course, the resurrection? I mean, that would turn you around, wouldn't it? to know that that was true, to have seen it. The resurrection, the historical fact. That means we need to be acquainted with the facts. That's why the case for Christ, of course, is such a good course to get on, but also to just learn about because it gives you so many good facts about what happened and the proof 
and the evidence for the resurrection. So I commend it to you. So that's the gospel. That's what we proclaim. We use scripture. We talk about the death and the resurrection. But thirdly, the gospel forces consequences. And sometimes this is the bit we find hard, even harder. The choice is stark. The decision is binary. There is a narrow road that leads to life, and there is a broad road that leads to destruction. That's not my words, that's Jesus' words. Verse 38, look at that with me. These are some of the most important words here. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care. Take care. That what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wander and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. Now, notice the word justification in there. It's a big word, but justification before God is through Jesus alone. It's through Jesus alone. That's really important. There is no other way to be right before God we go, we stand, we tell that we must really be clear about this because this is the bit I think we need the most help. We can be a bit hesitant to be as clear that it is through Christ alone that we can be justified. We need to be clear that you know our religion, good works, your performance, your achievements, your CV, your exam results, they do not justify you before God. You cannot save yourself. That's what we have to be absolutely clear about. Justification is being declared right by God. If all you have is the law, if all you have is a religion, if all you have is a performance of rules, of codes, of way of life, of religious practices, then that will crush you. Make no mistake, it will crush you. It will condemn you. Because you cannot achieve it. Look, yes, it will show you all your mistakes. It will show you all your failures. It will show you all your flaws. It will show you how hypocritical you are. We are. But he cannot, by trying to follow it, justify you before God. Only the blood of Jesus, shed for you on the cross, provides the sacrifice for sin that will satisfy God's wrath. God's justice must be satisfied. And you see, either, either we pay um, or God pays. Thank God. Praise God. Jesus is the one who lived the perfect life I should have lived, but can't. And he died the death I should have died. Why? So I can be justified, justified before God. It's a beautiful verse. Verse 39, I, I love it. Such a beautiful verse. Through, through him, through Jesus... 
Everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Praise God for that. If you believe and trust in Jesus, you are justified. So Paul lays out what the gospel means, the good news. And then, of course, he lays out these consequences. Firstly, for those who believe, the consequences for those who believe is freedom. God's wrath is no longer on you. Praise God. The consequences are freedom of life. You can walk out into the life with a new freedom from sin, right before God, justified before him. But secondly, for those who scoff, for those who scoff, there is only death, decay, and destruction. This is the gospel consequences. If you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus, can I, can I exhort you, can I encourage you to believe and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins so that you may be free? We who are Christians, who've trusted Jesus, we need to go, we need to stand, we need to tell. Now as we close, notice, um, notice the reaction. Notice the reactions at the end that you get. Um, and these are some of the kind of reactions that we may get. Verse 43, many followed Paul and Barnabas who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. There was a hunger, you see, for a message. We, when we proclaim, when we do this go and standing and telling, the people are hungry. People out there are hungry for God's word. Whenever the gospel is proclaimed, there is a hunger. There's a, as the Holy Spirit starts to work on people's hearts, to see. Verse 44, on the next day, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Wouldn't that be great? The whole of Blackheath came to hear the word of God. That'd be terrific. You don't, need, you don't need to be a preacher. You do not need to be a teacher. You don't need to be an evangelist. You don't need to have that gift. You just need to have a gospel heart for the lost, to be faithful, to go wherever he's put you, and to stand, and to open your mouths, and to speak, and to tell. Yes, we'll fumble, and we'll mumble, and we'll make mistakes, and we will go, I should have said this, I should have said that, and we'll get it, you know, we do, I do, we all do. But there were those who were jealous, verse 45, and he gives them a respectful warning not to reject the message. And so he takes the message to the Gentiles. When the Gentiles heard, verse 45, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. So can I encourage us to go and to stand and to tell? Go, stand, tell. It's quite straightforward. You don't need to be eloquent or uh, an evangelist, a minister, or anything like that. Just a heart, a simple heart for God, for the lost. As we go, though, we can have a plan. We can have a plan. It's good to have a plan, isn't it? Just go willy-nilly, you know. (laughs) We can have a plan. We can be clear about the gospel, what we're sharing, through the scriptures, the death and resurrection. And 
we can ask people to consider the consequences. I know that's a hard bit. But people's lives. Think of the loss. Let's pray, shall we? Oh God, our Father, we're challenged, we're challenged by your word and we pray, Father, that your word would equip us for the task of going, of standing and of telling the good news of Jesus. Help us in this, we pray. And for those of us here tonight who perhaps don't know the Lord Jesus, um, don't know this death and resurrection and what that means, we just pray, we pray for you tonight that you may capture a glimpse of the truth of who Jesus is and what he came to do. We ask this in his name. Amen.